0: You're listening to the best of the Sergio show. Here's Sergio. Let me go to my friend Tim Snyder. Gonna do a hard right off the freeway and let's talk about oil,
1: gas, and just crazy story. I saw last night, I think it was the Washington Post. I I sent the article to, to Tim and I said, hey, look at this. So Joe Biden's now banning any oil exploration, extraction, mineral extraction in the state of Alaska. Didn't the didn't dinkus didn't he approve the extraction of, of oil extraction in Alaska like I don't know like six eight months ago in a in a different program didn't he approve that Tim?
2: he yes sir, he did, but but this is even a this is a farther step than that, Sergio and by the way, it's great to be with you um it what they did was they not only did they ban the exploration and everything else that's related to that, they canceled the leases oof so even if that had been already granted everything was completely shut down that will take those small towns that are up in the northern and central portion of alaska that are, are very oil rich and oil dependent and remove that subsidy from those um, individuals
1: oh my goodness all right so a lot of people may be losing their jobs as a result of this new edict by joe biden is there an expiration date on it or is it just he said it, and so let it be written. So let it be done. Is that the attitude now?
2: Well, uh, that's it. I mean, that's just he said it. That's it. Until some another president comes in and says, "Okay, Executive Order Number Seven Thousand Two Hundred Forty-One, um, we're rescinding," uh, you know, the the Biden era. Uh, uh, you know, just ban on any sort of expiration. And unfortunately, this is coming at a time when the Russians and the Saudis have have cut back, have extended their cutbacks on production uh, for crude oil and are putting a floor under the prices, which means prices aren't going to drop a whole heck of a lot farther than what they've dropped. We've already gone through the, the the winter blend switch. We saw prices drop a little bit, but we're covering that back up real quick and just increase prices uh, at the pump and, and across the country in crude oil.
1: Okay, so months back he said yes. Now he said no. Plus, pulled all the other leases. What happened? Who got to him in between, or you know, who's who's pulling the strings on this? What what happened?
2: Sierra Club, okay, uh, the, they, and Sierra <laughs> Club was mentioned in the article when they when the uh, this was posted. So uh, Sierra Club's involved in this. Sierra Club was also involved in the the, the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, ban that uh, went into effect a couple of weeks ago uh, on uh, further expansion and, of course, more restrictions on uh, production. And then remember, over the weekend, this last Friday, um, he imposed a ban on, you guys aren't going to like this when I tell you this, but he imposed a ban on a rail transport for LNG.
1: Aye. Aye, aye, aye. Well, it's a good thing, as far as I know, the LNG, the the minerals that come to us will be liquefied. It comes to us via pipeline down from Corpus, right? Down from Corpus down to us. And we got other pipeline coming down to us, to the Rio Grande Valley from, from Eagleford. So hopefully no rail will be involved in the delivery of gas to be liquefied by this super cooling thing at at Brownsville. I I, I don't think rail is involved for us, which I think that okay. saves us, but um you know any different than that uh
2: I, I do other parts of the country are dependent upon being able to move where their lng facility is And of course you know you've got i believe chevron right now is in the middle of a of a uh, uh lng potential strike uh and they depend upon moving their lng from their plants uh, around the country down to the gulf of mexico and they do that by rail because we still don't – I mean, LNG, I say it's not I'm new enough, but it's it's uh, newer technology that we're just getting used to. And the, these port facilities that are coming up, you know, um, have to be able to take it – have to be able to take in new pipelines, because you guys even need to have a new pipeline, or extend or expand your pipeline to be able to, to manage the volume of natural gas you're going to have to have. So, um you know, the, I'm, this is just a big jumbled mess. It, if it's got if it's got fossil fuel mm-hmm. uh, roots, yeah, yeah, yeah. then the Biden administration is going after it. And and once again, mm-hmm. unfortunately, this climate change discussion, uh, Sergio, that we're that we're basically having here, um, you know, it, it, it's been thrown out the window by several people. There was a a professor uh, by the name of Patrick Brown, who out of Johns Hopkins University, who. With a, a group of uh, eight other uh, scientists, published a paper about the uh, how bad the wildfires were, and basically what they did in order to get their paper published, they changed their findings to make it look as if um, the the f- uh, fossil fuels had cre- or climate change had created uh, a s- more serious condition that caused the fire, the uh, wildfires when everybody knows and they the he, the professor came out and said you know we knew that 80 percent of wildfires come from human beings whether it's accidental or on purpose you know this 80 percent that we published in the paper we kind of changed the metrics just a little bit um it's actually 80 percent of the 20 percent so that's not even 20 percent of what we're dealing with so it's a shame what
1: does all this hate come from tim i don't think you and i have talked i've asked you about that. Tim Snyder, by the way. Tim Snyder, MatadorEconomics.com. This hate for anything fossil fuel, uh, and I know it's decades old. What is, where's is it birth from? Where does it come from? This lunacy. You know, petrol, all this fuel, this is the lifeblood of the American economy, of the world economy. To yep. deny it is to deny yep. jobs and prosperity, to keep people poor and and, and suffering and dying in places like Africa and, and, and the Americas, where does all this hate come from? Because we know the global human-initiated in, or human the human contribution to global warming or whatever the hell they want to call it these days, it, it's it's not real. It, it's, it, it's just a game, but so many people fall for it. Where does initially all this hate come from?
2: Well, do you remember the old saying, everybody complains about the weather, but nobody does a thing about it? Yeah. yeah. That is where this is. This thing got its genesis. And I, I, I've told this story several times. Back in the early, early 2000s, I attended a meeting in Golden, Colorado, at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, yeah. where the Undersecretary of Energy was in there talking about, um you know renewables and and what they have to do to fossil fuels to make renewables look um more affordable and that she told us that you know you need to see gasoline between seven to nine dollars and diesel between 11 to 15 dollars a gallon um and we need to make sure people understand that if they use the fossil fuels they are hurting but not just the economy, but the 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 environment. Yeah, the planet is what they said back there days. Right. It's,
1: a, it's a false that, religion. That's the, that's the Genesis. Yeah, Get it's a, it's a religion. It's a false religion, and uh, it, it saddens me to see how the leftist media carries the water for for promoting all this ignorance and, and all this propaganda, and, and destroying e- economies and and opportunities and jobs for, for so many people. And let me ask you about ERCOT, brother, because ERCOT last night. Um, send out another uh, another hey you guys need to cut back on electricity you know we we have a potential shortage all that stuff and you and i texting to each other you had mentioned that there's an easy solution for this i, I just want to give you some airtime to explain
2: absolutely the easy solution is increase your production to make sure that we have enough and anticipate the stinking heat wave yeah you can go to weather channel you can go to accuweather if, if you if you want to beat yourself about the head and body and they'll tell you, oh, we're gonna be at above 100 degrees for the next 15 days, okay, fine. Then make sure that we have the electricity planned and, and generated and in storage so we so we can increase the power. You know, I fear that what we're dealing with here, once again, is fear-mongering, uh, and ERCOT is pushing as hard as they can push to create this scenario that, you know, once again, chicken little, the sky is falling, and, you know, we've, we've gotten how many warnings all summer long yeah. and not one of yeah. them came true. I don't want them to come true, yeah. but I also want, you know, common sense to take place here. This is not a, this is not a difficult, uh, scenario. This is an easy fix.
1: Talking to the gang up in Dallas on over at WBAP, we, we had a, um, an energy grid expert who kind of knows what, what's happening and what fixes all have been put in place and, will be put in place and describe, like, the coal-fired plants, they take, like, 12 to 6, 12, 20 hours, something like that, to fire up and start producing el- electricity. Uh, long story short, right. uh, the ones that produce electricity within an hour or two is gas-powered, right. and fossil fuel-powered, right? Let's go. And Why don't we build more of those or have more of those on standby Because I know some of these units are being taxed and they're working super hard to provide the electricity. Well, we just need a few more uh, as far as backups. I think that's an easy solution. And and I didn't hear lawmakers in Texas say, okay, we're going to cooperate or co-venture with some energy. We're going to have some of these latent gas-powered gas gas storage and gas-powered plants out there ready to fire up in a deep freeze, ready to fire up in... In a sizzling situation with weather, where we need more AC power. And, and I I don't understand this mindset. Look, I, I appreciate wind and, and, and solar. It's good and you know, free energy. That's great. But we need a proper backup, a, a backup generator in the event that we have. And I don't know if we have it in Texas to provide that. Um, I mean, do you speak with people at, at ERCOT or electricity industry and uh, what we're doing to, to bolster, protect Texas?
2: Well, and what's sad about that is that you know, the governor knows that we're dealing with this, and unfortunately, this is going to be hung on him. Yep. Uh, one one trip up. That's and it. This will be hung around Greg Abbott.
1: Absolutely, it'll, it'll be him. That, that that he will not be able to uh, get that albatross off his neck if it happens, because we had plenty of time to fix things, and the it's common sense. Just have a few more gas. I think just have a few more gas generators on standby, idle, fire so, up within an hour or two. They're putting juice on the grid, but. No, that that doesn't seem to be the priority. Okay, brother. Anything else you want you want to share industry wide uh, for oil and gas?
2: We're watching gasoline prices start to rise again, and you know, with with Brent, Brent crude trading above ninety dollars a barrel, crude oil, West Texas Intermediate crude oil, eighty seven dollars a barrel. We're heading towards that hundred dollar mark that that makes people very very uncomfortable. So keep an eye on the pump. We'll see what happens. All right,
1: well, Tim Snyder, MatadorEconomics.com. Matador. Yeah, like, ole! MatadorEconomics.com. Look for him and get his regular newsletter. This is The Sergio Show.
0: K-U-R-V. You're listening to the best of The Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. You're looking for a job. You're looking to change jobs. About
1: to interview. Beware of the coffee cup test. This is new to me. Martha Reynolds is an expert when it comes to recruitment. Uh, her place is my place people person a boutique it's a recruitment firm tell me about that first martha before we get started with the coffee cup test
3: sure absolutely i uh, basically my people person is a recruiting firm working with small businesses and lower middle market companies predominantly in the dallas fort worth in texas area um and i'm a recruiter who's been uh this is my company i've had for 12 years but have been in the business and of hiring people for um over 20 years now.
1: What is the coffee cup test?
3: Sure. So the coffee cup test is, uh, it's been around for several years, pre-pandemic actually. Um, And basically an employer greets a candidate, um, walks them back to say a conference room or the interview room on the way, stops in the kitchen, grabs a cup of coffee together, does the interview. And at the end of the interview, if the candidate does not offer to Return turn the coffee cup to the kitchen and wash the coffee cup. Um, then they're automatically disqualified oh. from the position. <laughs> Brutal.
4: Wow,
1: that's some. Yeah, that's pretty good. But what if they have like an allergy to like dish soap or something like that? Oh no, my hands are all <laughs> parts and dry, and look, they're all flaking as a result of all the soap. Yeah, that's not fair. Okay, right? Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> you
3: know, I think. I think employers are just looking to see that people are wanting to, you know, pitch in and contribute and, and be part of the team.
1: You know, I think I would fail that test, honestly. <laughs> I, I, well, I think what I would do is, um, I'm I might, I might do it, but. I don't. I don't know. I, I think. I, if, I think
3: a lot of people yeah. would at least offer, or at least say, "Hey, can I drop this off in the kitchen?" Where yeah, would need me? To exactly. Like, where's the kitchen?
1: Where's the coffee? Yeah. Let me go. Leave the cup there somewhere. It's,
3: right. Yeah. You're not, not going to leave it sitting on someone's desk.
1: No. Um, and since we are spoiled here at, at my cluster of radio stations, we're spoiled. Uh, Maria is a friend to all of us. She, she clean. She cleans my coffee cup cups <laughs> she'll clean mine <laughs> she'll go to the other studios pick up the coffee cups and she'll wash all this and and uh, we do we try to keep the place clean you know pick up for ourselves paper throw paper plates away but all the coffee cups she does i i, I know it would fail because i probably would leave it in the sink if this, this is somebody's job somebody is depending on This being here to justify her hourly wage later in the day. Uh, That's probably why why I would fail uh, this test. You know, this reminds me (laughs) of of a Chick-fil-A hiring test I heard of. Uh, I I think they have a sit-down with a candidate. And I believe, I think if I remember right, the manager will drop something on the floor, will drop a file on the floor, something like that. If the candidate does not help pick it up uh, or picks up that trash on the floor that's near the desk, uh, then that person will be disqualified. H- had you heard of that over at Chick Fil A?
3: I actually, I actually have, and I've, I've heard about it in situations outside of Chick Fil A as well. But yes, somebody drops something on the floor, spills yeah. something, knocks something over, and yeah, they're looking to see if that person is um, going to help out and be able to be willing to lend that that hand.
1: What is it that makes Chick Fil A hiring so special? They hire. I think they hire some of the best people anywhere, wonderful kids, uh, and, and older folks, too. It's like all ages. They're just bubbly. They're wonderful people. Uh, they have a great work ethic, it seems. I, I have not encountered a, a single Chick-fil-A store or restaurant where we have you know just people dragging their feet, giving you attitude, or just they just don't seem to want to help you. Everybody seems to be on their toes. How does Chick-fil-A do things different? I wish everybody hired people like Chick-fil-A hires people.
3: You know, the customer service aspect of that job is really paramount for them. So they really, really put a lot of emphasis on making sure that people have just those really kind of good natural customer service skills. And something like that, you know, dropping the napkin test is an example of it, where they really go in and look for somebody who's going to go the extra mile um, to lend a hand.
1: I was going to ask you, why can't all restaurants and service places be like that? I guess there's, there's only. You know, some. I
3: think it's gotten much more challenging. You yeah. know, post-pandemic, that industry was uh, really, um, you know, really saw a decrease in in people wanting to go into that kind of employment, and it's it's been tough. I and mean, you definitely see it in the service industry.
1: Yeah. Well, there's only so many people that have that type of personality, that type of work ethic, and I, they're cornering the market over Chick Fil A. Yeah. You know, another one, and now that you're in Dallas, uh, by the way, Martha Reynolds is a recruitment expert. We're talking about uh, the test that some recruits. You're looking for a new job. You might be exposed to it. So you, a test. You won't even know that you're being tested, and the manager looking to see how you react or what you do uh, in, in order to bring you possibly bring you aboard as a, a team member. Uh, you, you Being in Dallas, uh, Martha, H E H-E-B is another uh-huh. company that does an awesome job in hiring people, at least I can tell you, here in South Texas, and my experience is up in in Central Texas, up in San Antonio. Uh, wonderful people; they seem to have a good hiring methodology, a good hiring questionnaire, whatever it is that they do. They seem to hire really good people at He But, and now you have some of those up in Dallas as well. Have you had a chance to visit the the He Butts in your area, the He Bs? <laughs>
3: I have, and they really do a great uh, a great job at hiring and also at retaining their people. I think that's a key part of it. You know, if go. you can get find great people and do what you need to do to keep them engaged and keep them motivated and keep them part of your workforce, then that is a really key component of having just a great team around. Yeah,
1: you, you brought it up. It's uh, the benefits and co investment. I, I think all employees are able to. Uh, take a little share invest a little share into the company so they're investing into their future that's what H-E-B changed that uh, a few years ago I I recall that so yeah that's the benefits and the investment Mm -hmm. into the job Uh, final thoughts Martha anything else that managers HR people can do when it comes to hiring for better hiring better recruitment
3: you know I you know I always tell people to you know take the time to, to spend with a candidate and don't look just at the hard skills and someone's experience but really delve into kind of their attitude and their approach to life um, and whether or not that's going to be a good fit for your organization those are some key important facts I think to, to consider every time
1: Thank you Martha Martha Reynolds uh, her place uh, a, a boutique recruitment firm up in North Texas my people person Thank you Martha this is the Sergio show.
0: You're listening to the best of The Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. I'm
1: going to talk right now about alcohol addiction. Someone who's an expert in helping people break the chains of that addiction. Former addict, Irvin Lee. Now Lee. A faith-based recovery program called From Beard to the Bible. Irvin, welcome to the program. Interesting name to your ministry. Tell me... uh, Tell me your testimony. Uh, t- tell me your, your Christian testimony. <laughs> tell me you know, how the Lord freed you from this and uh, what you do day to day to help others.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for addressing this epidemic uh, that is sweeping our country. I was uh, an alcoholic. That was my God, my, my drug of choice. And I was actually in the spirit industry, beer, wine, and liquor, mm. for 20-plus years. Uh, I did everything you could do with alcohol. I sold it. I marketed it. I distributed it. And I was also addicted to it. I uh, ended up going to treatment for 31 days. I was mad at God. I uh, had it out with him the first week that I was there, and I got to see the goodness and the grace of the Lord while I was there. I worked the process, the 12-step process, but through that, there was a gentleman there who led me back and discipled me back in true freedom, which Mm -hmm. can only be found in Christ Jesus.
1: How did you fall into this pit, Irvin? At what age? How did it all happen? You you became addicted to alcohol.
4: (laughs) Man, I hate to say it, but it was between the ages of 40 to about 45 when I began my, yeah, my descent. I'm going to tell you what happened. I was good until... I got a little bit of money, I got time, and I had no God. And those three variables in the equation will drive you into sin, shame, and I hung around with people who had those three things, and, man, we just led a life of foolishness, sin, and debauchery until I just couldn't take it anymore.
1: You were a, you know, as is referred to, a social drinker. Prior to age 40, yeah. when you fell into that pit, right? So uh, you said you met the wrong people, and there you go. That's when it went full throttle, and you became addicted.
2: Yeah,
1: and that's, that's interesting how you were not addicted to alcohol prior to that. So I, I would guess, what, you didn't have a predisposition to be addicted? You just made some bad choices after age 40?
4: Well, here... It's, it's twofold, so okay. 60% of it is your genetics. And my grandfather was an, alcohol, un, an alcoholic mm-hmm. unbeknownst to me. So I, around about 35, I started to notice like my hangovers were worse, and that when I went out, most people would be on their first drink, I'm on like three or four. And then I noticed a propensity to binge drink, but I could always recover and keep it together, right? But then when I got my own business and I got into the business of selling alcohol, man, and I had time and I had resources and I, I was not praying and I, I had no Lord and no Savior. So I just really just yeah. ran myself into the ground, man.
1: I got you. It sounds to me like maybe the alcoholic label maybe was a little earlier. It was, it was likely not as intense, though. Uh, as you experience it yeah. at age 40, Ir- Irvin Lee is director of a faith based recovery program called From Beer to the Bible. How many folks have you helped uh, help save, help um, dry up through all these years of, of ministry? What'd you say?
4: Ah, thank you. That's a wonderful question. So we've been around since 6 of 17, and we're at 1,477 people and counting. Okay. And I, I'm a business guy, so when I when we aggregated that number, I was a bit disappointed. But let me tell you this. That is families times generation when we get a man sober at let, or a woman and get them sober from alcohol but free in Christ Jesus. So we're super excited about that. And we believe in empathy and then the education of Christ Jesus. So we want to get you sober and then we'll tell you how you can truly be free in Christ and
1: Jesus. 10-4. Now, you have 1,400 plus success stories, right, Irvin? Or fourteen? Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. So 1,400 plus success stories. Mm-hmm. Tell me overall how many patients you encounter because I- I've spoken with friends about this before. What would you say is the percentage of success? 10, 20, 25% of the folks that you encounter?
4: Uh, we're going to, the national average is about 10. Yeah. We run about 20%. Okay. And, you know, uh, and this is the hardest thing about what I do. I get to see who I was every day. And I want sobriety for every one of the people that we encounter. But I have to realize that the Lord has a plan and a process, and sometimes We just plant the seed and some other treatment center or program harvest for us. That's why it's so important that most of the people who suffer from addiction, drug or alcohol, only about 12% of the people seek treatment.
1: There might be, as scary as this sounds, I wouldn't be surprised if there's somebody running around town, managing a business, working for a living, just trying to get by another day and yes. is probably just messed up, hungover, has, just just feels awful and disgusting, hates the feeling, maybe hates yep. himself, hates herself right now. What would you say yep. to that individual tuning in right now, and you got that captive audience, what would you say to that individual who just hates it all and just wants to be free of all this
4: pain? First of all, reach out to us at FromBeerToTheBible.com. God is not mad at you. God has a great plan for your life but uh, you have to take the first step, surrender, acknowledge you have a problem, and then if you're not going to get help from us, get help somewhere because there are tons of resources out there, whether you have money, whether you have insurance, if you want to be sober, there are resources out there to help you do that.
1: And what's um, interesting is I was looking at some of these write-ups and studies that prompted this conversation, how, how women are closing the gender gap sadly when it comes to yes. alcoholism and that is a. Uh, have you seen that trend with the people that call you for, I, for help
4: we have seen that trend increasingly and it is driven by mental health and i mean stress and anxiety for women and then the other thing that we don't talk about enough is social media is driving discontentment in women with the way they look, their body shape, because they see these celebrities drinking, boozing up in movies, uh, on television, and then they have these great lives, what I call their Instagram lives, and it drives stress, anxiety, and discontent in women. They don't have the coping skills necessarily, so they medicate their pain and their anxiety and stress with alcohol.
1: Again, Irvin, give me your website. How do folks find you?
4: You can find us at com. That's com.
1: It's a pleasure, Irvin. Continued success, and right. thanks for joining us today. This is The Sergio Show. I actually envy what Curtis Howe and company do for a living. They get to see all the different news channels, cable channels, the internet channels. They, they see all media, and they run the clock, run the amount of time that is devoted to top issues. N- news out of Washington, for, for example. All these hearings, all the investigations that Republicans are plowing forward into Hunter Biden, into Joe Biden. You know, the millions of dollars that the entire Biden family has made somehow, miraculously, without any assembly lines, without any products. The services, oh yeah, the the country <laughs> selling out. The country, that's the the allegation. Bribe money, millions of dollars for everybody. Well, the investigation moves forward. How much has the radical leftist-leaning media devoted to provide the American public information on this? So Curtis Halk at Newsbusters would know. So share with me some of the numbers you got, Curtis.
6: <laughs> well, you know. We've gone through all kinds of Biden scandals over the last I don't know three years at this point. And so we decided to collate them together into some of the real big ones. So um, last month New York Post reported that Hunter Biden had taken twenty million dollars from the Kazakhs, Romanians, Ukrainians, Russians and the Chinese. Zero. You know, another one that found that President Bot from the New York Post that President Biden uh was using the Robert L. Peters
1: alias.
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, the email, Z- the other name. Yeah. Uh, zero. Wow. Also, the House Oversight Committee came out and confirmed the same thing, that it was multiple aliases, not just Robert L. Peters. Zero. You know, how about the confirmation that Joe Biden was definitely the big guy referred to in that voicemail uh, or in that email regarding the Tony Bobulinski saga? Yeah. Zero. Or, you know, we're going to rewind a little bit. We're going to go back to something from last year. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, I think it was the Joe Rogan podcast where he just casually was like, yeah, yeah, the FBI totally told us to suppress information about the Hunter Biden laptop, which, in our opinion, threw the 2020 election to Joe Biden. Oh, zero. Oh. Um, So if you notice, you know, the pattern that we find is zeros across the board.
1: I would like to see the names of the assignment editors, the news directors at the various networks who make these decisions, who the culprits are. Because there, there is top management in leftist media, print media, broadcast media. There is. I'd love to see those those anonymous behind-the-scenes faces. I want to see some faces and names. And I would love enterprising channels like Newsmax or maybe some of the more independent conservative media put a microphone in front of these people's faces and say why didn't you run this why did you suppress why do you continue to suppress all this information i'd like an explanation from these people i I would like to see some aggressive journalism go after these individuals who are carrying the water for the left
6: Mm -hmm. yeah no i definitely think that's true um and you go back to you know you always try to find like a counterpoint like a comparison to something else um you know the the third trump indictment i kind of started doing through early august uh before i took off uh because i i got married so Mm -hmm. I i was busy for a little i was busy for a little while um but through august 11th the Trump indictment on January 6th, so it's obviously been much higher then, because we're coming up on a month since I last updated, but as of August 11th, it was at 342 minutes on the Trump indictment about January 6th, Hmm. which is just simply astounding. And in less than a week, I believe it was three or four days of coverage, the Georgia indictment had 81 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you you have this price comparison... In less than a week, the Georgia indictment was given 81 minutes of coverage. In just a few weeks, the January 6th indictment for Trump was at 342 minutes. But then you go to any of these major Biden scandals, um, including the fact that Biden took $5 million from Burisma, which we've been counting since June, zero seconds. Or the LLCs, how the Biden family had their foreign payments tied up in nearly two dozen LLCs with nearly a dozen Biden family members. Of course, you know, I'm pretty sure the grandkids weren't doing business overseas with the Kazakhs and the Ukrainians uh, and the Chinese, you know, the grandkids and the wives. I'm pretty sure they weren't doing any of the stuff like Hunter was. So why would these foreign countries be even interested in them? The networks have no curiosity and we all know why. They'd much rather talk about COVID. You know, that's the new thing. They're worried about Joe Biden and COVID. What does this mean? Oh, my gosh, we have to mask up well, again.
1: Get ready, for, get ready for the push to have some states, lefty crazy states, to mail in the vote for 2024. And I hope it's only those crazy states. Cause they're lost already. They, they won't contribute to the overall count when it comes to the Electoral College. Well, Curtis, thank you. For your time, and soldier on, amigo. Keep counting those minutes. Oh, and by the way, there was a poll that was done I, th- I want to say it's like maybe two years ago. Voters said that had they known about the laptop from hell, had they known about all this, uh, as would have been properly reported during the campaign, they would have voted. They would not have voted for Joe Biden.
6: Yeah, it was about 20%. Yeah, and we pulled yeah. and this was swing state voters.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. That would have made the, uh, a huge difference. So yeah, and, and right now, despite the bias and unfair coverage uh, in carrying the water for the left and suppressing all this information, it's still 50-50 right now, which I find that amazing. Can you imagine what the polling let drive would, them crazy. Right? Can you imagine what the numbers would be if they were honest and, and reported just the facts, ma'am? Or just what they're just report what is being investigated. Just put the facts out there and let people make up their own minds. But but they don't. And it's still 50-50. And eventually, I think the information will get out, especially with the impeachment hearings where all that new video, audio, there's no way of hiding it in social media. It's, it's got to spread like wildfire. Thank you, Curtis. From NewsBusters, Curtis Halk.
0: This is The Sergio Show. 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a
6: in this particular instance, we are in receipt of information.
0: When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Poncho Ortiz
1: with Breitbart.com. All right, Ponchi, what happened in Matamoros the past 24-48?
5: Well, depends on who you ask. If you ask the uh, local officials, the state officials of Mexico, and some of our, you know, uh, people over here in, in certain positions, they'll tell you that things are great, commerce is great, no pasa nada. But in reality, on Monday morning, There was a very large-scale shootout uh, that pretty much froze most of Matamotos for several hours. It was so intense that even the U.S. consulate had to issue out a warning, basically telling people to shelter in place, That you know, don't go out, stay where you're at, and uh, pretty much just uh, follow the the alerts, avoid the the violence. What's been happening is, you know, uh, we, we talked about this in the past, since uh, late April, there's been a turf war between the two factions of the Gulf Quartel, the one in Matamoros and the one in Reynosa. This has led, uh, you know, while most of the violence has been in Reynosa, in the city of Matamoros, there's been a, a, a big spike in kidnappings uh, and forced disappearances. There's a difference there. By forced disappearance, I'm basically referring to people that are taken and they're never heard from again more than likely killed. Um, Well, uh, you know, uh, because of the ongoing turf war, people have been gone missing in Matamoros. Mm -hmm. And uh, there there's been several cases in the last couple of weeks, and the Attorney General's office in Tamaulipas, and the Marina, which seem to be the only two uh, agencies in all of Mexico that are actually doing something, were actually Matamoros kind of looking into the kidnappings. And they got close to a stash house, so then the Gulf Cartel basically do what they do, and they basically send their gunmen out to uh, clash with police forces. Uh, similar to that time when the the four uh, Americans went missing, where basically the whole Gulf Cartel just was mobilizing and, you know, was able to kidnap four Americans in broad daylight, they try to do the same over here uh, to keep police forces from raiding their stash house. Mm. And there was a a large-scale shootout, multiple gunmen in com- uh, convoys of gunmen in armored vehicles that were shooting it out. The Mexican Navy deployed helicopters. Um, you know, they they managed to kill four of the gunmen. Uh, you know, and, and so forth. I mean, they pretty much had a long, a large-scale shootout. Uh, this is not the end of it. There's been, you know, in previous weeks, there's been a couple of other shootouts so this is not going to be the end of it there's going to be a couple more in the near future it seems authorities actually the marina is actually uh on the trying to hunt down the leader of the Matamoto section of the Globe Cartel, uh which uh you know if you follow some of our reporting he actually has connections to government officials and he has protections though the marina is actually uh hunt, trying to hunt them down and they've they've you know been you know circling the the trap around it. So, uh, like I said, this doesn't seem to be the end of it anytime soon.
1: Would it be an appropriate moniker, when you say marinas, based on their training and expertise and loyalty to Mexico City, it seems, would it be proper to compare them to U.S. Marines, the marinas?
5: Well... Now, you see, they're the Department of the Navy, and they're, they're the infantry forces of the, of the Mexican Navy. Now, the Mexican Marines, the Marinos, they're actually highly trained, uh, you know, so you could compare them, uh, you know, in, in some way to the, to the U.S. Marines, because these are actually guys that, you know, door kickers, as they refer to them. I mean, these guys are, well, they've been the most effective weapon against cartels in Mexico in the last couple of years. And also they've been the cleanest, the, the the ones with less corruption, you know. Everybody knows that, you know, you mentioned the word judiciales in Mexico or federal police and, oh, here comes the Mordida, you know. Yeah. Well, the Marines have actually been the ones in Mexico that have been more effective in taking out cartel bosses. The, you know, you can kind of put down a list of who's who within the, you know, the cartel bosses and the, the guys from Marina have been the more effective ones that have taken... Either captured or killed most of them.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. You mentioned in this firefight in Matamoros, by the way, my friend Poncho Ortiz, Breitbart.com, my guest, firefight Monday in Matamoros in the end, uh, federal forces, Mexican federal forces fighting some cartel gunmen, four of uh, the gunmen dead. And you'd mentioned uh, a stash house. Uh, I guess these cartel members wanted to protect uh, their stash house. With uh, the Mexican federal authorities, were they able to find a stash house? Were they able to rescue anybody from a stash house? Any report of that?
5: Well, there was nobody rescued. They're still looking for the missing people, The you know, the people that have been taken. Do they know how many no. they're looking they're for? Kind
1: of do, do they know how many they're looking for?
5: Well, uh, you see, that's the problem in, in, in this because... Um, Mexico is really bad at keeping uh, records of, of people that are taken, missing, and so forth. I mean, you know, there's one, there's one case that there was a family actually said, "Hey, my my loved one was kidnapped." However, most, uh, what's been happening is that most people are not even reporting their loved ones being taken. Uh, it's you know, and this has led us to, for example, in Reynosa, in the last couple of weeks. They have been finding multiple mass graves uh, throughout the city of Reynosa. That means don't, and actually, even an incineration. Site. They're
1: killing people, despite the fact they get their money. Is that what it is? Or these are people who, who are killed because the family they just don't have cash. Do you know?
5: It could. We don't know. The okay. problem is that most of the people in those mass graves they haven't been identified. They were not reported missing. Uh, so it's people that were probably too afraid to say, hey, "My loved one was taken." It could have been a rival member we don't know at this point and sadly that's the story for most of mexico because if you look at the whole as a country as a whole we're looking at about a hundred and sixty thousand missing people and Oof. uh you know we're I and mean, the number of mass graves that mexico keeps finding is pretty much every other day there's a mass grave being found Somewhere in Mexico, you know, Jalisco, Veracruz, Tamaulipas, they're the uh, ones with the more cases, but pretty much everywhere in Mexico you're finding mass graves now.
1: Poncho Ortiz, Breitbart.com, my guest. We're talking about violence in Matamonos, cartel violence in Matamonos, and, and the recent the shootout for cartel gunmen, criminal gunmen, killed by Mexican military. The, the situation in, in Mexico, all these kidnappings... All these killings, the fact that none of this gets reported, is it because on the u s side is it because it's only Mexican citizens that are victimized here, or migrants, the folks crossing and they get sopped up, snatched up by the cartel, and they demand a ransom for these people because I would imagine if they if we had m- more Americans, even mexican Americans who were taken into custody, everybody would be crying murder on this side of the room and then what happened with these folks who went for that medical stuff that voluntary medical stuff cosmetic medical stuff in matamonos that would lead to national headlines or are there some mexican americans that are in custody over there and, and they just disappear into the ether
5: well actually i'm gonna scare you a little bit on this one but or, this is a in, two, uh, in 2014, I wrote a story about how many Americans were kidnapped in Mexico, and it was 199. That was back in 2014. So that just gives you an idea of uh, how much of that ha- stuff happens and it gets get reported. I mean, it's... Uh,
1: what, because they're uh, of their Mexican ascent? Their, their family are from Mexico or they, they have Spanish surnames and nobody gives a damn about these people or what?
5: Possibly, I mean, it could be kidnapping for ransom, uh, people that were somehow involved. It could be, you know, innocent people that were at the wrong place at the the wrong time. I mean, uh, you know, uh, at the time, going back to this article that I wrote back then, it's you know, about 50% of the kidnappings of U.S. citizens in Mexico, it's for ransom. And the other ones, it's other motives. So, you know, uh, this was in 2014. I mean, that was almost 10 years ago. But it gives you an idea of how, you know, if this is how it was back then, how much worse yeah, has it gotten now, especially five years into the Lopez Obrador presidency where criminals do not get uh, investigated, prosecuted, or arrested in Mexico.
1: 10-4. Damn. All right, Poncho, what are you working on? You want folks to look for it at com?
5: Well, uh, there, there we're, you know— um, There's a lot of things moving, uh, uh, you know. Right now, for example, yes, yesterday, cabeza de vaca, the former Tamaulipas governor, uh, announced had his attorneys announce that they were basically uh, asking Mexico's federal prosecutors to file charges against the former head of the financial crimes unit division in Mexico, who's the guy that started the the whole allegations that cabeza de vaca was dirty and so forth, because now he's able to he claims that he's going to be able to prove that. those charges were made up and it was done as a as a political hit to keep cabeza from running for presidency at the time so you know that's a bit of, of that whole uh, uh political drama now also today AMLO is supposed to announce who's going to be his uh successor for president of mexico mm, yeah for the upcoming elections in uh next year
1: yeah well Interesting story developing just south of the border political-wise. And, and a woman who's challenging, potentially challenging, um, the uh, well, his party. Uh, his leftist party as well. But we'll leave that for another day. Thank you, Poncho. You be safe out there, brother. That's Poncho Ortiz, Breitbart.com. Make it one of those sites you check on a regular basis. To get the real news from south of the border. And another news you need to know, that's Breitbart.com. This is The Sergio Show.